Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 554. And I'm joined this week by Kingsley Ben Adir. Kingsley is an amazing actor. They play Bob Marley in, in Bob Marley One Love, which is out now. Perfect film to come out on Valentine's Day. It's a wonderful film. It's the story of Bob Marley. I was blown away by it. Um, and I was really excited to talk to Kingsley because Kingsley was on the first set I ever worked on as an actor. And we've not really seen each other since then. So, you know, eight years or so. So, yeah, I was really excited to get some time with Kingsley. Obviously, playing Bob Marley in the biopic of one of the most iconic singers and, and just people is huge. So, um when I arrived and set up, I was told he's done loads of press today. He's a bit tired, so you know we'll uh, we'll, we'll do our best. But he might be running out of steam and so on and so forth. Not in the slightest. As soon as we um, greeted each other, we were good to go. So you're going to love this one. It's fantastic. And thank you for all the love for, for recent episodes. Um, the David Holmes one last week in particular. What an astounding dude. And thank you for all the love for my return to to music video directing. If you didn't catch it, head over to my YouTube. I directed a, a, a music video, a poetry video for a spoken word artist called Mithago. Now, I've not directed any any videos like that in eight years or so. But I saw Mathego perform supporting B. Dolan on on his tour. And they just astounded me. And this particular piece, I really wanted to, to capture and get it out there and do anything I can to get as many eyes and ears on this piece as possible. So the reaction has been absolutely, ins- like, can't explain insane. So thank you all so much. Um, yeah, let's get on with it. On with the episode. As ever, we're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can buy my merch, support the podcast, and look good. You can support at patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip, where you can support the podcast. You may or may not look good. That's not my business. And head over to twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pip Yo for all the f- fun and joy that's going on over there. There's loads of good stuff over there. If, if you're into my music, if you go on the videos section, there's a whole music section with live videos, all sorts of good stuff. All sorts of good stuff. You're going to have a lovely time. Speaking of lovely times, this is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 554, with Kingsley Benadir. I'm here with Kingsley Bernadier. How are you, man? It's been a minute. It has been a little while. I'm doing all right, man. I feel like I ain't seen you since when you came in on King Arthur. Yeah, And I yeah. think that was too... It came out in 2016. I think I bumped into you in the street a little while after it because it was a weird day. I bumped Nick into you house. and then I bumped... Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I bumped into Charlie somewhere completely else in London. It was just the yeah. most random of... Yeah. But, and weirdly, the last time I was in this hotel, I bumped into, into Charlie, Charlie for the first time in years. But Amazing. Yeah, we worked on on King Arthur and that was that was my first ever acting gig. 
Wow. And the amount I learned off yourself, off Charlie, off Aidan Gillen, Neil Maskell, Craig Ginnett, it was an amazing cast, an amazing one to be part of. And Aidan in particular was one that, because on loads of my early scenes, I was kind of in the background, but so was he. Mm-hmm. And being aware how good he is, I was watching what he's doing when he's not doing anything, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And that was such a big lesson. So how, was really, how was that for you, that project? Because He was really focused, I remember. Yeah. You know, he was really quiet and calm and was thinking about his character in a way that yeah. was obviously, um, you know, he put he put he was putting the work in. Yeah, I remember his energy on that yeah. film. That film, I was in Thailand. I had New Year's, Christmas New Year's in Thailand, and I was enjoying it with my pals. And then I got a message from my agent saying guy wants to meet you um, and you need to come back because he's only meeting, you know, Tuesday next week. And I oh, was wow. like, what? And, you know, I'd had a line or two in, in a couple of films, but it was massive. And uh, I remember I flew back and then my flat was right next to guy's house. Right. So I just had to walk downstairs and, 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 and stroll over. <laughs> and I remember we went up into the kitchen and we were just talking about life and music and he was playing me some of your stuff, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was playing me some of your stuff and he was talking about wanting to get you on the film, but I yeah. don't think he'd reached out to you yet. Or again, like, we're, I'm, I'm not going to go into it too much because this is about you, but that was the maddest thing because literally the week they reached out and hit me up, I'd just decided, hadn't told the public to stop doing music and try and get into acting. Oh, nice. And that week... I got a message of Guy Ritchie's saying, would you be up for auditioning for... And it's a real feeling. So we've just got some tea. We've got some English breakfast tea coming in. Beautiful. So we might hear a bit of clanging. Thank you, sir. It's going to be an audio joy, this. It's going to be liquids, clangs. Uh, No sugar. Can I be a pain in the arse and ask for a bit of milk? Yes. Is that all right? Thank you, bro. So, yeah, that was a, a, a mad project, but you've been busy since then, man. You've been really busy. And there's a lot I want to talk about and, and we won't f- fit it all in, but I was a big fan of of One Night in Miami, of the OA, of Soul- Soulmates, my mate Brett Goldstein's show, Barbie's Secret Invasion, obviously. But as we won't fit everything in, we've got to start with Bob Marley, One Love, because that's what we're here to talk about. Mm-hmm. How does it feel at this moment? Because all the creative work is done mm-hmm. and it's about to come out. Yeah, it's cut. The film's cut. They've locked it and yeah. people are watching it and it's going to be, yeah, we've got the, the London premiere tomorrow and then Paris on Thursday, LA on next Tuesday. Then they've added a carpet in New York. They've added one in Miami that Rohan's going to do on the 9th of Feb and then there's one in Washington, D.C. It's like, Amazing. We're, we're, yeah, we started this the sort of promotion and the tours, you know, we've been, we're a week in and how does it feel, did you say? Yeah, yeah, how does yeah. it feel? It feels really because nice. Because a, a lot of work has obviously... G- gone into us. I watched it, absolutely adored it. But again, the amount you must have had to to put into this to to play this role. Yeah, it's two such year, an important it's role. two years in March. In, in March, so once the film's out, it'll be two years I've got the job and it's been an amazing experience, you know, and, and it was, um, what was incredible was that, you know, finding Bob or trying to find him, trying to find his voice, trying to find his humanity, you know, without mm. sounding too pretentious, but like to try and understand who Bob was as a human being, like to try and understand like who he was as a father, you know, what Bob experienced on a personal level on an internal level to try and tap into that was um, only possible because I got to spend so much time with his family and his friends. I mean, I, yeah. I, I was, you know, within no time at all, I was in Jamaica with 
with Bob's pals who knew him from when he was 12, 13. We was on Orange Street with Lego and, you know, and, and Lenny Dredd and, and Desi. And, and I, I was surrounded by his family, his friends, his colleagues, people who were there with him when he was writing the music. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how mad it was. I don't even think it's really even sunk in yet because yeah. it just became normal so quickly. Yeah. You know, there was no time to like celebrate getting the job. It was like, the family want you to do it. All right, cool. Right, there's a lot to do. There's a language to learn. Yeah. You know, I'm not Jamaican, so... And, and, and Jamaican Patois, as far as I'm concerned, is a language, you know? It's not, thank you. It's not, um, it's not like any, just like a dialect, you know? Yeah. I spent a lot of time listening to Bob because his daughter, Sadella, she sent me a wee transfer file one day out of the blue. And uh, I opened it and it just went... And there was just like document and audio file. And it just went on and on and on. Wow. And there was a note saying like, these are um, interviews with daddy um, that only we have. And uh, we just want to share them with you. And I was like, oh my God, there is so many, there is so much here to get through. Mm. So I just started, I didn't even know that was going to be the process, but yeah. I just, well, this is what I got to do. I got to start working through these interviews. And I started listening to Bob. I just, that was all I did. I was just listening to him those first few months, listening and listening. And then I had to have a really honest conversation with myself and go, you know, I get about 80% of what he's saying. But mm. there's a lot of Bob talk that I didn't understand. Yeah. And that's because it's a language. Jamaican Patois is a language. It's not a dialect, you know. It's more than that. And and to, to understand Bob, you got to understand the way that he talked. So yeah. the process for me, one of the major, major things was the language and, and kind of translating all of those interviews. And what was really interesting and scary was that it wasn't so much that I didn't understand. There were, there were bits that I was completely misinterpreting. So I was misinterpreting things. Right. Bob would speak. I would type out what I thought he was saying. And then I'll bring Jamaicans over to my house, Jamaican people that I grew up with to help me with the bits I didn't understand. And they'd be reading through what I typed out. And you said, you know, he's not saying that, he's saying this. You know, he's not saying that, he's saying this. And so wow. my mind was just being blown. And I was like, okay, cool. This has to be the focus now. I need to make sure I understand everything Bob's saying and every single one of these fucking interviews that his his children have sent me. And it required a lot of help, you know. There's no film without the family and there's no mm. film without Bob's friends. That's that's the that's what's different about this. Yeah. It's not like, oh, thank God the family were there. It's like, no, this is a film that's produced by the family. It's produced by Rita and Ziggy and and Bob's close friend and artistic director, Neville Garrick. He was there with us. Every day. It must have been amazing though, right? To be welcomed into all of this, to to, to drop yourself straight in and become part of this family and part of this world, essentially. Yeah, it was. I, I really, honestly, when I look back, I did not take the time to like celebrate or even acknowledge how surreal what was happening was. Yeah. You know, there were moments in Jamaica where Ziggy, I'd look at Ziggy and I would just blur out and have these like out of body experiences where I go, oh yeah, you're Bob's son, you know, and then I'd have to flash, like crack, like get myself out of it and yeah. back to work and focus. And uh, I remember one day, Ryan, Stephen, Ziggy, and, uh, you know, a few, like a lot of the family turned up and we were in Trentstown, we we're doing a football scene. I got really emotional because. I saw all of his kids standing there and you just have these moments where you remember what you're doing and who you're playing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, we wouldn't have been able to, uh, this, there's no film without the family and there was no, my process was with them, included them. I learned about Bob 
through his friends and family. And, uh, you know, normally when you're playing a character, you, you figure out the character on your own in your bedroom and yeah. you come up with all your ideas. But, like, this was different. I needed I needed to to understand Bob's vulnerability. You can't read books, you know. His public persona in all of the interviews that are on YouTube are can only get you so far. Mm. There's just so many layers to him, you know. He's a tough, they called him the tough gun. Yeah. And they called him the skip and they called him the general. You know, when he was in the studio, he was a, uh, you know, he was heavy on discipline and, and work ethic. And I heard the creation of that album was very intense. They all nearly died a few months before. Wow. You know, gunmen went into that, into Hope Road and fired shots and yeah. they nearly all lost their lives. And there's a lot of trauma in that that I think was uh, transferred into the creation of the album. And that's when it became really interesting to me. I was like, hang on a minute. These guys, you know, they 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 just nearly died. They had to flee, and then next thing, Bob's in London, and he's there's this outpouring uh, of emotion and 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 truth and clarity that he's having. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, that yeah. his greatest work, you know, arguably, yeah. um, happened right off the back of that. So yeah, I can't remember what your question was. No, now, but... no, no. This is amazing. And again, it's just it's really interesting to hear this the 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 level of the insight and the process, even the unexpected process as you as you say you didn't necessarily know that this was was going to be the process i want to kind of ask how playing this role has affected you as a person because when we do f- find roles and find f- f- find characters we can go deep we can research a lot but characters like bob and malcolm x so much of their personality is based on their political b- belief their passions their true you know, real, real beliefs in how society should be, how mankind should be. So when you're going deep into that, I, yeah, I kind of wonder how much of that is eye-opening to you, changes your way of seeing things and thinking. So yeah, how's how's Kingsley come out of this? I feel I know exactly what you mean in in that. You know what what Bob did and what he achieved. You know, as it relates to his music and his message and the responsibility of. Uh, you know, he had, um, you know, what he did in terms of, um, you know, how he affected people mm. and uh, how people looked to him to, you know, what he did in Jamaica and bringing the opposing political parties together I, and all of that. I think it's there's like, an argument that there's not a musician who's had a more yeah. remarkable political impact. Yeah. And again, I forgot about that kind of until I was watching the film because yeah. I grew up around a, a reggae. My uncle was the first l- label manager of, of Trojan Records, so... Reggae was always around, but to much of the UK, reggae was about a vibe and a feel because mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily understand all of the all of the patois and didn't exactly. know the the conflicts and struggles that were being talked about in it. But yeah, much exactly. of reggae, particularly Bob, is political m- music, yeah. and that's what I loved about the film was it was going, oh yeah, it's about a musician, but it's about more than that. It's about yeah. where Jamaica was at that point and all of those yeah. things. It's, you know, when I started like. Um... I started really working through the catalogue of music from the beginning, Concrete Jungle, and just stopping every time I didn't understand what Bob was saying or I didn't understand the lyric, and it was a lot, you know. And I had help, and I I, I now understand the full meaning of all of the songs. And, you know, there was a day where I went, Bob's talking about God in most of his music, you know. Even in jamming, when you get to the final the final verse, it's like God permeate his spirituality, you know, he was on a mission, you know, mm. and he was he was really trying to spread the message of, 
his imperial majesty, you know, Ali Selassie and, and what Bob's religion meant to him. You know, I feel, I feel like, going back to your question before, I think, how have I come out of this? I feel like trying to understand Bob as a human being and as a person and as a father, I had to really check what my relationship to, you know, safety, you know, safety, inner peace, kind of self-love, togetherness, self-togetherness. Those themes all work on an external level as well. So world peace, all of us coming together, unity of nations, all of that. But you flip them and you turn them inside and you go, where was Bob at in terms of inner peace during this period of time mm. or during his whole life? Like, where did Bob, like, where was he at with feeling safe, you yeah. know? And then we're starting the movie with a shooting where he nearly died. So I just felt from the beginning that to attempt to try and kind of understand Bob on that level or to meet him at that place, I needed to check those things for myself and I hadn't checked all of them, you know? I hadn't checked my relationship to safety. I hadn't checked the way that kind of I, I can respond badly in certain moments. I, don't, I never really checked what, you know, my relationship to overworking mm -hmm. is. I never checked really, you know, how I can really not trust people in many ways. It's behavior that I hadn't, I've been behaving a certain way my whole life. And it's hard to see yourself sometimes because you've normalized so much behavior is normalized, not having boundaries, you know, like whatever, uh, whatever our own versions of, of those things are, are really important to understand if you're going to attempt to play anyone really, yeah. but particularly Bob, because what I found out, I, I, can't, I think I knew, I can't remember how much I knew about Bob mm. before I got the job because I feel like I know him so well now. But Bob was from the ghetto. So when people say like, everyone has an idea of who Bob is. And when you're playing someone, you really have to stop sometimes and just acknowledge the really, really simple facts. I went to Trenchtown. Of course I did. And I, I was around there. But like, just for, to stop and go, right, he was from the ghetto. And look where he, he went on a journey, man. Mm. He went on a, on a journey that is so incredible. The Where he got to in terms of music, you, like some, I had a singing teacher before who, who told me, do you know how hard it is to write one hit song? Just one. Yeah, you can spend yeah, your yeah. whole life writing songs and you might not, probably won't write a hit song. So Bob wrote hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. Even the songs that, you know, weren't hits. I played them now and they would have been hits, you know, like yeah, they're yeah. hits. And even his bedroom tapes, you know, I, I listened to so much Bob, you know, so many Bob songs that never got released. Mm. So like things that he was working on, Jailbreaker and Jump Them. And I, I don't right. think those songs got released. The yeah. families, they didn't release them. And they became my favorite songs. I was like, this guy was up before the sun came up every day yeah. writing music. His, his commitment and his work ethic was, it didn't surprise me, but it was, it's astonishing when I check it. Like these are the, these are the things that, you know, I don't know how, Many of the fans know these kind of things, you know, like so I, I just really enjoyed understanding, you know, what he was like as a person yeah. and to, to hear it from people who were there at the time. And remember, you know, everyone was, I was like, what's Bob like when, you know, during this time when they were creating Exodus in London, like, what was he like? I'd ask Neville and uh, he'd say, it's intense, man. So it's intense. I was like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. No shit. You know, he's like, yeah, he was on it. You know, he said, be, Tyrone told me, you know, and it'd be weeks that go by where we wouldn't smoke, you know. 
So he was just, he, there was, I think he probably had a feeling that was so strong that he wanted, you know, that there was this outpouring of, of um, emotion and honesty and truth and like something really happened, you know, when they were making that album. Yeah. It's an amazing album. I've listened, I don't think there's an album I've listened to more than Exodus now, you know, like it's, um, yeah. So yeah, just check, checking in on safety, checking in on safety and, yeah. and, and peace, inner peace. I love that. And and again, you, it's worth highlighting, again, you mentioned the, the hit after hit after hit and the, the size of the hits. It really can't be over-exaggerated that this was, that these were global hits and they were of a genre that didn't have a global audience at yeah. the time. And like it's like comparatively now you have people like, someone like Getz, who's a superstar in the genre, mm-hmm. but hasn't necessarily had the pop hit or whatever else. And then you've got when Dizzy first came through or or Stormzy or whomever else that then get just global eyes on these mm-hmm. things. And there's, it's amazing. It's, it's. But they'll all call out Getz, won't they? If you ask 100%. them, you ask Kano yeah. and all of them, who's, who's, who's your top three? Yeah. They'll all say Getz. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So it's that interesting thing there that, that it's one thing to, to make a hit within your genre, but it's another thing to make the hit that takes you, you, your genre out to more yeah. and more people. And yeah. then again, if you're doing it right, you're then shouting out those who should be known yeah. world over. As yeah. I said, you'll hear, oh, when I came on the on the podcast, Getz was, was one of the first people we talked about. Yes. Yeah. Exactly that. He's, he's the rapper's rapper. So, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's astounding. I, I, I kind of, I want to know what your... Your up, upbringing was like, you grew up in, in London, right? Mm-hmm. And family, a tr- 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 Trinidadian? Yeah, my grandma and granddad on my mum's side, they came over from Trinidad in the late 50s or early mm. 60s. But my grandma came over a little bit before, and then my granddad came a little bit after. Yeah, and then my dad's parents were both from here. Yeah. So my dad's white, and, and yeah, and then my mum's my parents were from Trinidad and Tobago. So, so what was you, you, your route into acting... And entertainment and this kind of world was that always the goal, or was or was it? No, there are other things you wanted. No, I, I in year nine. I hope this ain't too boring, but in year nine, before the summer holiday, I was told that I wasn't going to be allowed back into year ten unless I um, spoke to a counsellor and did. Um, can't remember what it was. Like there needed to be some serious intervention. I wasn't like one of the kids that was like, he needs to be expelled, you know. Mm. But they were just like, this is too much now. You're not actually going to make it through. If you, if you, do. Yeah. I didn't do any work. So like, I remember I got to the end of year nine. I swear to God, I did not have one textbook with writing in it. And you should turn up, sit there, wait, go to sleep. You know, if a teacher, if you had a really strict teacher, I'd pretend I was doing something. But as soon as lesson was, I was out. It was about socializing and being out and clothes. Mm. And just wasn't focused, you know, like wasn't, um, wasn't interested in school. And I don't know what happened that summer. I just, um, I just made a decision at 14. Um, I was like, I want to go back and be good, you know? Like, I want to try. I don't know. I can't remember why it happened. I think I spoke to a kid who I'd grown up with who was doing really well at school. And there was something a little, I envied a little bit and, and wanted for myself. So I started learning when I was 15. I was starting from scratch, really. I didn't have any of the, I didn't have any real education, you know? Yeah. I could read and write a bit. Of course I could, but I just didn't try. And then I, but I ended, sorry, I'm getting back to the question. No, 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 I no. ended up randomly in a drama club because all my, all my subjects got picked for me. Cause I just was like, I don't, makes no difference to me. It was DT or art or 
like I'm not very good at maths, but we all got to do maths. So I really, it was it was random and a coincidence that I got put into drama, and we just had a great teacher, and I met him in September that when we started, and and uh, he was an amazing teacher who just joined the school pretty much the year before, and I started, you know, and I was I was on my own road to trying yeah. to get a little bit better, and um, it was the only subject where I was like in the top three or four people who were like the yeah. best at it. And that makes know? a difference. And it makes a difference because yeah, 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 yeah. you go like, I could never be the best in English because yeah. I'm surrounded by guys who are really good at it. Yeah. And, but drama, everyone was kind of starting from scratch and, you know, it just kind of went from there. And then I left it, you know, I did it at A-level. I stayed and did, did it at A-level and just really enjoyed it. Every other term, there'd be a play that I, a play that we were working on that I kind of liked or connected with. And I remember being 17 and reading, um, a scene from uh, A Raisin in the Sun and I remember it making me cry as I was really I was just in the corner on my own like trying to go over the lines and the words obviously affected me I didn't know what was going on at the yeah. time but I was, I was reading it and then I choked and uh yeah and then just around that time I was watching films and collecting DVDs and just I didn't even know what I was doing, man. I didn't I had no idea what I was doing. I was yeah. just like, I like this thing and I'm going to keep watching and learn. I remember watching films, like classic films and getting to the end going, I don't know what's going on, you know, I don't know what it was about, but I just know that I want to be a part of this. Yeah. Like, whatever this is, I want to be a part of it. Oh, there's a beauty in that. I remember talking with Carson, the, the director, Des Hamilton, and, and we were talking, because I came interacting with no prior training and that, and we were talking about the the risks or getting the right training, because if you get bad training, you're going to be a very, a certain way. And he was saying, one thing he was saying is, saying if, if you want to l learn how to act, go to a, g a gallery and look at some art. Yeah. It's like, just see what moves you, because it doesn't have to yeah. be all explained and under understood. It's yeah. just, you'll know what gr grabs you. And that could be the case with great f film. You might not be able to articulate it yeah. afterwards, but you're like, that was amazing. I want to do stuff like that. Yeah. I want to be involved in involved that. Involved in that, yeah. yeah. And uh, some of the great actors and actresses now, you know, in their their twenties and thirties, and never went to drama school. Yeah, yeah. They never trained. Yeah, you know, and they're killing it. Yeah, you know. So it just, I, I guess, there's all different kinds of routes you can take. And yeah, I, I, I got to, you know, like twenty, and I stayed at the school that I went to, and yeah. I worked with kids there. Um, I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and so I spent two years working with kids with. Um, uh, behavioral problems and learning difficulties and I really 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 I loved it man the days went so fast I yeah. found it was a joy and I was still half a kid myself yeah and I kind of I felt like I understood them and I I remember I got put in charge of like this group of boys who were they were bottom set English and there was no concentration there I guess on some level as well you know kids are only behaving like that because there's trauma at home, mm -hmm. you know? There's trauma at home. They, have, they haven't been taught how to learn. They haven't been taught yeah. how to focus or concentrate. It's not for everyone. And I really got that. So we'd sit in the library. I sit in the library with them and I'd do one question. We'd do one question and then we'd chat for 10 minutes about anything you want. And then we'd do one question, we'd chat for 10 minutes. And then that would go on for an hour and a half. And then by the end, they'd all done seven questions. And I was like, that's better than no questions. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, and it yeah. really worked with them. It really yeah, worked with them. And, and, and I, I, re I really, really loved it. And then one of the, one of the boys I looked after called Rufus, his dad was an actor um, at the RSC. And I had a really close relationship with Rufus's parents. And, you know, I I spent a lot of time with them. And uh, I said that, you know, how'd you get into this drama school thing? And he said, there's a lady called Hillary. 
She used to run Weber Douglas. She does acting classes at the top of this pub every Wednesday with these students who were at Central. And Anyway, I can't remember exactly what the details yeah, yeah, were. She yeah. said, if you get there at 9.30, she'll help you with your drama school auditions. So I used to go and meet Hillary at 9.30 in um, like Kensington somewhere. And I did a, a, a picture speech from Richard II for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, a speech from Chekhov. I did my modern, I did Chekhov. I was like, I'm not doing like, I wanted to do Chekhov. I just had an interest in it. And then she coached me through. And um, yeah, and she really got me into, she got me into drama school and then I went to drama school. So, yeah. I love it. It's it's interesting. Again, it feels like it was important for you to make that choice at 14 that you wanted to learn and, and dedicate yourself to something rather yeah. than continue to feel you're being forced in a certain direction or whatever else yeah it's, just being you know, stuck you can know, make a like, big difference it's when you have that moment of you know i want to do this i'm not here yeah. because i have to be yeah i do have to be but i yeah. want to i want to make the most of it yeah i probably just needed some i wanted to be praised or you know yeah. i wanted to be seen i mean you just i was i was smoking so many cigarettes and drinking and i'm, I'm 14 like, what's all this yeah. about when yeah, i look yeah, back yeah. i go if i see a 14 year old doing some of those things, and I'd be like, that's something wrong there, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it is normal to to a point for kids to want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was I was addicted to cigarettes at that age, you right. know? Like, I was... Yeah, I just wanted to feel some sort of change, and um, I feel I feel mad lucky that I found something that interested me, you know? Like, it really... It's really saved me at so many different points, Yeah, you know, having something that I can always go to, you know? It's, it's, it, it surprises me to hear you weren't, like studious as a kid because I think particularly when you take on characters that are established like Bob Marley and and Malcolm X I think there has to be a real level of research and a real level of deep dive it's not purely your interpretation I remember when we were on on King Arthur I remember you were reading Sam Cooke's biography yeah because again I think you were were looking at or up for for, yeah. for playing Sam somewhere and it's good memory the, the amount of or again it struck me because I was like as it was my first acting gig I'm like right all all I can do is f- focus on trying to get my small role right and try mm. and make it good and do the best I can but the fact that people were nailing that but finding any m- minute they can to still work forward improve th- themselves rather than I always remember on 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 a gig, someone saying to another actor, you're kind of treat, I know this is your first gig, but you're treating it like it's your only gig mm-hmm. or your last gig rather that. than this is a career. Like treat it right, but you should remember that this, or at least tell yourself that this is what you're going to be doing f- f- forever. And again, I think that's an Im- important thing. Yeah. And I love people who have that focus on him, that constant improvement and constant process. But yeah, w- I guess what, how do you find the studious area of, researching characters like this. Well, if I'm injured, sorry, because the first thing, the, when you said there, you got treating it like it's your last job yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah, yeah. to treating it like this is something you're going to yeah, be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they can both be valid. Yeah. I think I always try now not to take it for granted, like to go, this could be my last job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this could be my last job. And, you know, and I don't know why psychologically for me that helps me, like helps me in some way. But then at the same time, you have to be, you have to trust that. Lashana was just saying it earlier, you know, about visualization and things like that. And you have to be really clear, you know, if you want to do something that's heavily oversubscribed, too many people trying to be actors, like your chances of making it are really low. 
then you do, there is a kind of visualization as a part of it as well. And you have to be very clear and in your mind, you have to see your career and all of that. So I think they both kind of work yeah. depending on, you know, where you're at and, and what, what what's good for you. But I find it very, very easy to switch on into like a kind of overdrive when I'm interested in something and it works the other way when I'm not I can't I don't know if that I like I, I got I got an ADHD diagnosis when I was at drama school but I never really paid any attention to it, it was just yeah. interesting to know the the I was the, gonna say that hyperfixation is is so naturally neurodivergent minds and again it's finding that way to make it a superpower rather than a, yeah. a, a, a weakness as such it's yeah. like right no this means that when i am into something i can go deep on this and yeah yeah, yeah. i've always found that even from king arthur and yeah. sam cook yeah. i'm like boom there's an opportunity here i'm happy to do whatever i need to do to try yeah. and learn as much as i can but i think equally growing up now and getting a bit older if i look back at the experience of filming bob marley i go well if I could have done anything different, I would have taken a few more breaks. Right. I would have taken a few more breaks and I'm really going to try and concentrate on that. The next job I do, because mm-hmm. actually you can overwork sometimes and you can just be working from a place of anxiety and, and and you know, like to get to a place where you are working productively and looking after yourself at the same time. Like, I'm so happy and proud to have been a part of this project, but there was a part of me that got to the end and go, well, you couldn't do this three times a year. Yeah. You couldn't do this three times a year physically, your yeah. health, your sleep. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the Mark Wahlberg posting his workout routine. It's like, that's good if like he, he posted this workout routine at some point. It's like, that's viable if you're getting in shape for a specific thing. That's right. not viable for your life. For your life. You can't no. be getting up at 4am every day yeah. doing your first workout, then doing this, then yeah. doing you that. Crash, it's like, crash and burn. It's cool for what you need to do, but yeah. don't put that out there as a, here's what you need to do to Yeah, no, to I agree. Like I agree. I agree. And really... Football was amazing during the, during filming Bob because for some reason, you know, part of my, I remember my, my Google calendar, I've just put all the Arsenal games in and it was like, it was 90 minutes or, you know, a bit over with half time and where I would, I was able to switch off, you know, I was able to switch off and play. And I think probably because I knew how much Bob loved football. So yeah, I felt yeah. like it was one, it was something I could do that was still connected to him in a way. kind of work. Yeah. It's tax deductible. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I used to have that, it's weird you mentioned that. I had, I had that for a period with FIFA, the game, because I was like, that will mean I can't be looking at my phone and checking my emails for yeah. X amount of time. I've got something I'm focusing on and I might have a podcast on. I might still be learning something in the background, but it was that thing of not constantly being, yeah. oh, what do I have to be doing next? Yeah. How am I? getting this next role why isn't the phone ringing what more can i be doing to get this and get that yeah and doing 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 bad. yeah someone said something we spend a lot we spend a whole bunch of time doing doing and not enough time just being you yeah, know yeah and yeah. um yeah I, i'm getting better i, I love to chill yeah. as well so yeah. like I, i'm good at chilling i can chill <laughs> three four months i'm like i'm good i'm so happy oh, what do you like to do what, what's I, your go-to kind of like, like when a job's over what you like is is mad let's just simple things that I just bought. I like take I like taking the pace off the day. Yeah. So I write a small <laughs> list of things to do and then I'll take seven hours to do them. Yeah. And yeah. and I feel like do you know what I do mostly? It's really up me and my boys we're all on WhatsApp groups and we just go who's meeting at the Lido tomorrow. I think we've tried to flip it a little bit. So yeah. we don't go out and drink so much anymore. It's yeah. really we meet up and we go to the ladder and we jump in the cold water first thing in the morning and then we'll have some breakfast it. and then maybe just go for a walk around the heath and catch up. And it's really amazing because you do that first thing in the morning, you feel great. 
and it's a great way to see people. I think the last two, three years, I've I've just I've been so busy that a lot of time can pass and you haven't seen people. So I feel like the last little while, my life's just been about work and thinking about work and stuff like that. So I'm just always trying to find the gaps to take a day or two to just switch off. But um, after this tour, I'm going to do some proper chilling, you know, and yeah. just enjoy doing nothing, you know. And I, th- I think like m- morning cold water swims are like like a, a burrito or something, right? So you just say a burrito, it's like this simple thing, but actually there's so many different things in it mm. that make it this thing. And you say, I'm going to get up and early, early and go for a swim, but you're getting up early and you're you're waking yourself up on, on one thing. I'd, I, when I used to do it, I'd jog down there. So I'm getting yeah. this little bit, I'm waking my body up. And Did you go to Ladder on Heath? No, no, I used to go in Margate. Okay, in, 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 in the Margate. sea. And, yeah, in the sea. Yeah. And they, they have a, a, a seawater Lido there, so it's just... It, doesn't matter about the tide. Nice. The water's already in. And it'd be that thing of jog down there and you're waking yourself up. Going in, again, I'm just such a big believer of getting in cold water. I yeah. think it's so good for, for, for your, your body and it's mind. The best, but then isn't it? also you're adding the fact that you're now firing on all cylinders at this early point in the day and you're mm. seeing the sunrise or you're mm-hmm. he- hearing the birds sing. Like if it's at a heath or something like that, you're you're experiencing nature. So it's easy to say a morning swim. Yeah. But, but we, there's so many ingredients there in is, there that yeah. make it so much more impactful. Do you know what? Po- after 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 lockdown, yeah. it's become like a thing. So cold yeah. swimming's become a thing. And yeah. I have to say, me and my pal, we clocked it early. So yeah. it was years, it was like just after King Arthur times really. Yeah. We would jog we do New Year's Day jogs on the heat. Yeah, yeah, so we'd yeah. meet up and do a jog and then he parked the car up by the men's punt. And so we finished the jog and we're getting in the car and we see all these people jumping in. And we was like, oh, should we go and do that? What the hell are they doing? Do you know what I mean? They're all jumping. It must be freezing. And we jumped in and I swear to God, I was like, wow. It was, I mean, you know, you stand there too long, you're you're banging trouble. You know, I got hyperfermia the other day. I stayed in too long. So I come back. I think I didn't have much body fat on me at the time. Mm. And I, I did 12 lengths in like, I think it was like nine or 10 degrees. And I was just getting into it. Yeah. The last length, I felt, euphoria it was like almost like um it was almost like an mdma feeling mm. and i remember i got this rush of positivity and all these things that i was going to do and all these things that i was going to fix and i was going to mend and then i got to the end of the length and i got out the pool and i wobbled and then maxine who works at the lido she said are you all right and i was like no i don't think i am she said come sit down come sit down and listen i've been there when people are getting dragged out the pool mm. and wrapped in those yeah, blankets yeah, and all yeah. of that and I was, I kept, I kept bugging in and out. So like she was saying things and I was talking like really, really fast. And then I didn't know where I was and she was saying something and I couldn't remember what I'd just been saying. So they took me into the room and I was in the room for an hour. They wrapped me in like seven blankets and warmed me up and I'm just yapping the whole time. Yeah. It's so, it's such a kind of joyful feeling. Yeah. But you're free, your, your organs are just about to shut down. Yeah. And like it was, it was scary, you know, because it's yeah, that, you can, can get that close. You know, I didn't, you know, you've got to respect the water as well because, you know, it's... Um, well, that's one of the things I've learned. Like, I've been doing it for years and just quite, I just love going out there. I love being in it. I don't tend to overdo it. But then a couple of years back, as you said, it's got more popular. And my mum my started doing it, right? And she joined a group called the the Blue Tits. And it's like yeah. for, for women to go... Uh, the early morning through... This is in South End. So okay, cool. They all meet up and they go for a swim. And I think there's, I think a blue tits is like a national thing and people can sign up. But she sent me a couple of, of videos that are their kind of advice things. I learned tons of stuff that I didn't know. About I've how just to been go getting, out, yeah, yeah. Like again, the fact that 
like for starters, you shouldn't r- rush in because you should right. go in gradually because your right. your body then adjusts and your right. heart rate acclimatizes and all this. Whereas if you jump straight in, it's shock. shock. I'd always thought you get straight under as quickly as possible, but right. that's shock and that can put you into hyperthermia and, and things like yeah. that. So there was all these small things that I was like, man, yeah. I'm such an idiot that I've just been going, yeah, just go and have a yeah, swim. Just go and jump, like, just go and jump in. Yeah, but yeah. as you say, you've got to respect. Yeah. One of my pals, one of my pals, he goes there and he just stands still. Yeah. So he just goes up to his neck. Yeah. And he closes his eyes and he just does uh, the Wim Hof breathing. Yeah. I like to move and get a little bit of swimming. They got a sauna there now as well, so you can jump straight in that warm up and then do the hot to the cold to the hot to the cold. I, I, I had Wim on the podcast about no way. six years ago. I went to his house in 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 the Netherlands. Oh and wow! I swear, well, listen to that. I swear, I'm driving there. And as I get closer, everything gets colder and icier. And by the time I get there, he's like, his pool is frozen over and wow. all this. I'm like, it was proper, pure chance on the weather, I'm sure. But it's it proper like, I'm visiting some, someone nice, man. Yeah. special here. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I love the stuff. But I'm similar. I kind of, I learned a lot of that stuff. I didn't connect with it massively. I don't know how much I believe in it, but I'm big on the kind of taking control of your breaths and being controlled and Breathe. slow. And then, yeah move about or float about yeah but anyway let's get back to also oh, to to, uh, to acting but before we talk a little bit more about one love i want to talk a bit about one night in miami because i thought it was so good and it felt like a breakout r- r- role for you if it felt like that got love eyes but it was a weird one for me because i also felt it got overlooked a bit because it was in that first wave of stuff made for streamers that was good mm-hmm. but there was a lot of there was a, a fair bit of stuff made for streamers that was quite throwaway and all this and that was one of the first ones that i was like this is amazing and for anyone who doesn't know i mean the one line kind of reads almost as as like a like a joke because it's essentially sam cook cassius clay jim brown and malcolm x walk into a bar as such mm-hmm. but it's, so it's them in this hotel room on this one night and just it's just a conversation, really. Yeah. But but they did go it's in. It's amazing, yeah. They did go in, and there was a video of Cass at the time, the morning after. Yeah. When he comes out. And if you watch that video, when he's talking to the press, you're watching a young man who isn't in a good space. Yeah. For someone who's so normally vibrant and charismatic and funny and, mm. you know, his sense of humor. And he, he for me, watching it, I was like, he's rocked. So... I was like, something did happen in that room. And Kemp really, you know, it's so imaginative. It's so imaginative to to create a conversation yeah. that may or may not have happened. But uh, to have those characters to, have to create those char- a conversation yeah, exactly. with. It's like the writer must have just been, this is heaven. I've got, yeah. I've got these four of the most amazing characters you could w- wish to have. And then now I get to write mm-hmm. this this explanation. Yeah, and I felt like the, the the drama really, or the um, so much of it relied on the uh, the energy of the performances because where it peaks and where it troughs and how to build how to build the energy throughout. Really, the 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 peak is the conversation between Malcolm and Sam when they come back down from the roof. Yeah. So it was really about layering and balancing and and really my intention was I was cast just before Christmas and we were starting on the 4th of January. For whatever reason, it was a last-minute casting mm-hmm. and I came in and there was a couple of us who were auditioning and and I got the part and I had just over two weeks to get ready. 
Wow. And so and that's a pressure role as well. Malcolm X is a but it was kind of it was kind of great in a way because yeah. I didn't have time to think. Yeah. I didn't have I time it. to yeah. overthink. Straight I just to had work. to yeah, straight to work, got to use every minute of every day to try and and I was like we could be, you know, it's like on films, you can shoot, you're shooting out of order. Mm-hmm. So you could shoot the last scene on the first day, the first scene on the last day, the yeah. middle scene, like it could be anything. So I, I said to myself, you need to learn this like it's a play and you're going out to play it and to turn up on that first day, that table read mm. with no script, off the book, in character. I want to show Regina that I can, and the producers and all of them, anything to do with your schedule, don't worry about me. I can jump in in it because we were doing the roof and we had to work it around rain yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And I'm to put a script in front of me. I just put it down on the floor. I think I bumped on two lines and then off we went, off we went. And I had the most exhilarating acting experience of my life. Yeah. I came off of that job high as a kite. I wasn't concerned about the result. I wasn't concerned about how well it was going to do or what it was going to do. I was like, I have had an experience with an incredible director who trusted me and directed us and just brought the best energy to set every day. I I had an experience. That's what I learned for the first time. Like, it doesn't really matter after you've rapped, you know? Mm. When you rap, you've rapped. You've done your bit. That's it. You've done your bit. Unless you want to go into producing and editing and doing all of that. As an actor, you come in, you're of service for five weeks, six weeks, three months, whatever it is. And and one night in Miami for me was that. It was it, it was just so intense. And and when you nail a scene, it's a good feeling. And and yeah. and, and 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 spending that much time with Malcolm, listening to him and watching him is a joy. It's a joy. Yeah. Same way with Bob. Yeah. You know, I could listen to I've been playing Bob this morning, you know, it's like so as a treat. And you know, when you when you're starting out, you dream of you dream of opportunities like that, and then they happen and you got to be you got to meet it and be ready and one night in Miami was uh just a joyful uh, an experience that really changed me as an actor and uh, I don't know why for many reasons for yeah. many reasons but the experience was awesome who who do you read and rehearse with because again it's interesting I think if you wanting to go in completely off book mm-hmm. did you have someone that you're 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 working with on that to get ready. Yeah, I messaged, there was a, there's a younger, act, a young actor called Alex Moffat, who's brilliant. And uh, he was at the secondary school when I was working there. And right. he he applied to drama school maybe five, six years later. And, and you know, was asking me for advice and stuff like that. And so we kind of stayed in touch and I, I gave him a little bit of advice about his speeches and all of that stuff. And I knew he was just graduating. And I said, look, I'll give you 150 quid a day or whatever if you can come and just run this with me. Yeah. And he just got his first theatre job or he was going away or something like that. And he said, I can't do it, but I've got someone who I trained with. Right. His name's Andy and he'll help. So this random kid come around to my house. And he's not a kid, he's 25. Yeah. And then off we went, man. We just we just we just ran, 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 ran the scenes. And he's an actor as well. So yeah. he he was really helpful in that way. In fact, I think he came over to help me with the first audition. And you know, and he helped me with Bob and Barbie and all of that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a like a, I think a, a verbal processor. Someone said mm. or something like that. I have to say things out loud and talk things out for them to sink in. Yeah. So yeah, and yeah, we ran it. We ran it. We ran the whole film from start to finish. You know, a bunch of times before the new year. So I had it up on its feet 
in my flat, you know. And Love it. I didn't I didn't like get set on everything. Yeah. But I made sure I had four or five di- five ideas for different moments and you know the big speeches in the middle with 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 Leslie and stuff. So yeah, I, I mean it's the perfect one to do that with, right? Because it is all based largely. Obviously, there you do move around, but it's all based in one room mm-hmm. as such. So it's the perfect one to really get tight and know, you know, what your performance is and how you want to yeah. put this out there. And the script weren't changing because it was yeah. good. You yeah. know, the language wasn't going to change. Like a lot, of, a lot of jobs, you know, things are being rewritten as you're going, and you got to stay like, you know, you got to stay a bit nimble. I remember but- the the. The panic on King Arthur, right? Because, like, again, my first acting gig, and I've got a stutter. I've never played a character who's got a stutter, but that just means I do a lot of prep. I figure out where I'm going to breathe. I really yeah. nail all this stuff. And we, we're doing the first scene that I've got dialogue in, and we, we do it at once. And there's, a, there's a load of us, and guys like, I don't know if this is working, and gets us all together. It's like, let's rewrite it. And we're rewriting it there. And I'm thinking, yeah. this is, number one, I'm thinking this is amazing that yeah. I'm being trusted to give input, and we're having this amazing process. But then when we when we get back in our positions, and again, I ended up being cut out of the film completely, but when we get back in our positions, I know at that point, I'd stop thinking all about my character, my performance. I was like, the the, the new dialogue was two, two W words in a row, and yeah. I often stammer on Ws. Yeah. So my whole thought process was, don't fucking start. Just get this out of your mouth. Yeah. Because it was just, we want you to come back, or something like right. that. But it was the we want, and I was like... I need to get through this. So one day, it, it went f- fine. Guys yeah. seemed happy. Everyone seemed happy. Because it didn't make it in this film, one day I need to hit to hit up Guy or or, or one of his guys and find that footage. Because, yeah. again, I want to see if I am just standing there just like <laughs> rabbit in the headlights kind of thing. Like, yeah. But it was fun. It was fun, that job, huh? It was great I had fun, a great man. time. And Neil Maskell proper gave yeah. me some amazing words of advice. Yeah. It was yeah. a really good one to work on. Yeah, Maskell, Freddie, Craig. Jam and yeah. everyone, man. We had a great time. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Well, I mean, before we wrap things up, I want to go b- back to Bob Marley. Again, we've not touched on... I mean, you were in the, the biggest film of the year, maybe the decade, in, Bar- in in Barbie. So, I mean, or just quickly, this is going to sound like a weird question, but how does the process change in preparing for a film like that versus a film like p- p- playing a Bob Marley or a Malcolm X? Because tonally, it's completely different. Yeah. What do you do? Do you have more fun with it? Is it more relaxed? What has it worked? It, it's, you know, so the writing's funny. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so when they say cut, oftentimes you're, yeah, you're fucking cracking you're just up. You know, to, you're cracking up after. Face it, but yeah. I feel like really thinking about how to make a part. You know, we're talking about small parts and parts where you don't have much yeah. to say. Yeah. You re- I was really think like thinking how do you make him, you know, different and individual and like trying to tap into some sort of psychology that's real, mm-hmm. um, however silly it is. And so I feel like Greta's main two notes were not cool, so never trying to be cool, and no violence. These are not violence. These are small boys, Mm. you know. Mm. I don't really have any thoughts. My only thoughts really are how is Ryan feeling? He is like a big brother to me. You know, he's like the kid at school. He's like year two. I'm year two and Ryan's year six. And anything Ryan does... I, you know, I feel an experience at yeah. a more intense level. So if he's feeling mad joy, I'm overjoyed. You know, if he's feeling terrified, I am like beyond terrified. And so really the process, it was making a decision to go, actually, there's no preparation after this. It's like, I have to just check what Ryan's doing. My The whole thing is checking what Ryan's doing. Yeah. And in that way, it became really fun because 
I didn't know what was going on. I just, I'm watching Ryan and I'm responding. It was kind of like slapstick in a way. And, you know, and I remember there was one scene, I think, in the battle where Ryan was, uh, he's, he was kind of, I think, screaming in the song. And I went, oh, like, to make this consistent, I have to feel that more than, more than him in a way. But to feel it more than him without trying to upstage, yeah. you know. So I just started screaming, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just started screaming. I didn't stop screaming. But what was great was that Greta was just cracking up. And if yeah. she didn't like something, it was too much. Come tell you, like, yeah. you know, chill yeah, out. Yeah, That's yeah. too much. But it was really, really, really <laughs> fun in that, in that way. Like, I remember there were so many scenes where... We were just having such a great time. And when he throws the the mink coat off the balcony, like they made that up on the day. They were like, this basketball Ken has just been following Ken Ryan around the whole thing. We have to kind of like connect them in a way. Yeah, and he yeah, threw yeah. the coat off and then what the coat means and all of that. So it was um, easier. With Barbie, it's easier to arrive at an understanding of who the character was. With Bob, I mean, the process was ongoing to the last day. I didn't ever have a moment where I felt like, no, Bob, got him. This is how I'm going to do it. I needed help from the first day of my process. I had my Jamaican friends and, and fam, people I count as family come around to my house and help me translate all the way through to the last day where Bob's family and friends and Neville Garrick were there, you know, fine-tuning the language, making sure that every scene sounded and, and was representing Bob in the best way possible. So, you know, it's great, though. Doing Barbie just before Bob was the perfect thing because... No joke, I was. I needed that fun before mm. the intensity mm. of that. I needed it. I really. Yeah. I didn't know I needed it, but I really needed it because, you know, you know, Bob was. Um, yeah, it was two. It's like nearly two years. And I, I, I want to kind of highlight something you said there because I think it's one of the most important things for actors to realise is you kind of said that finding something that makes him unique that adds to the scene, but not at the the detriment of anyone else because mm-hmm. that that phrase that people use in reviews a lot of this actor stole the show, I think is such a negative thing Mm because you're not meant to be stealing the show. You're not meant to be taking oxygen. If you can add to the oxygen, if you can add to things, then that's great. But I think it... Supporting the story, Yes. And again, that's that... (laughs) You're Ken screaming in such a manner is true to the story it fits the scene it adds to it but it's not going oh look at me it's yeah. kind of it's you as i said you found that moment that this is is perfect it's, it's one of the things i i love about self tapes is when i find something that i'm like i've got something i can add here yeah. that i think is really good i'm not being disrespectful to the text i'm not just trying to stand out in some way but yeah. something has come to mind that's like that fucking works that's a buzz for me because of, of not going to drama school and that mm-hmm. I get to do these little workshops yeah. or so on like a self-tape or whatever else. And yeah, it's finding those things but, but not forcing them and not trying to steal the, the show as exactly. such because that, that makes you a bad member of the team. Yeah, yeah, it's te- yeah, and it's always about story. It's always about supporting story. And that's what I've got, I've got better at over the last few years is that actually watching things it's not about judging yourself or being critical of your performance. It's really to ask, to have an honest conversation with yourself and go like, did I in the best way possible support the movie in that scene? And if I didn't, where could I have improved it? And mm. then remember to do that the next time. You know, it's not about, oh, I was great in that scene or, oh, I didn't get the emotion. Like, it's really, are we supporting the overall story and, and what we did scene by scene? Yeah. Um, and then it, I think it becomes easier to watch things from you know, an objective point of view um, without going into self-loathing and, and you know, and, and all of that. Well, I mean, I'm going to r- r- 
wrap things up now and I'm going to ask two things. One, what songs have changed for you over the process of doing this? Are there songs that are now your favourite? Because again, you spoke about getting a new understanding. I think Bob has written my favourite ever protest song line yeah. in, in Small Axe. If you are a big tree, we are the small axe yeah. ready to cut you down, yeah. sharpen to cut you down. I think that's just astounding. It sums everything up so beautifully. The the feeling we often feel in the modern world of things are too overwhelming or we can't be over... It's overpowering. So I know a small axe can, can yeah. chop down a big tree. What What is there anything... Are there any l- lyrics that's, that changed for you or songs as a whole? I love So Jase. And yeah. that's a song I probably didn't know before we started this process. It was the, yeah, it was the last song that we did in Jamaica and it was the last song that I studied in, in, in any sort of depth. I don't know why. And it's one of the first songs Bob sings in the movie. And... I would say to anyone listening to go onto YouTube and find Bob's bedroom tapes. There's mm. there's a lot of there's a lot of recordings of Bob singing songs as he's creating them um, that never got released. They never got released. So there's like Jump Them and Jailbreaker, and you know they would a lot a lot of that music was the music that I fell in love with, and you know I hoped would get into the film, but I think I was just getting too into it. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's also a thing on YouTube. I'm only saying the things on YouTube because actually people can go and actually can find, find them. It, yeah. There's a there's a a recording of Bob singing uh, "Waiting in Vain" in his in his room as well. That goes on for like 17 minutes, which is just beautiful. I'd start the day. Sometimes I'd be up at five and I'll just play that, you know, and make a cup of tea and I'll just listen to him. I just love listening to him in that raw state because I, yeah. I I know a lot of the time that was first thing in the morning and he liked he liked it when his voice was rough and and um, you just get a bit a bit of his humanity in there, you know, and then he has a little bit of banter with whoever's there with him and stuff like that. And yeah. that really helped me to kind of understand him when he was creating and and the music is just, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And I want to w- once again say I loved the film, but also I loved coming here today because as I'm walking about the hotel, people are humming Bob Marley songs and I, I, like, I'm excited for, for, for the film to come out because yeah. that is going to spread around. So... To wrap things up, the big question that you're probably getting asked all the time, can you just tell me one little bit of information about your voice work on, on gu- gu- Guitar Hero Live? Um, on what Guitar Hero Live. I've been looking deep into your IMDb. I don't remember. R- really early on the remember. Guitar Hero computer game, apparently you oh, were a voice I went, No, I went in and did 150 <laughs> voices that were more sounds. Oh, really? So I don't know. It was a, it was years ago. I went in and they were like, right, we've got all of these sounds. So it was the one that them. jumped out to me. So and I, like, like, I don't uh, know what this is. Uh, yeah. Uh. I just did that for a couple of days. I think that's where we're, I don't think it was an actual, like, any part. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's been yeah. a pleasure to catch up. Yeah, nice to see you, man. Nice one. Yeah. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that. Ain't Kingsley wonderful? This was a really good chat. It reminded me of the chat with Ed Scrine a few years back. Good few years back. I need to get Ed back on, actually. I don't know. Something about it. It just felt like there was obviously talk of acting and whatnot, but also some far far deeper lessons in there. Um, or some far deeper um, thoughts and cons- considerations. And, not even necessarily lessons, but yeah, that was great. I loved that. And I loved Bob Marley, One Love, 
can't recommend it enough. Get in the cinemas and see it, please. Um, I'll be back next week with another great episode, actually. Fantastic. Oh, it's a good one next week. They're all good at the moment. I bloody love doing this. So thank you all for supporting and for listening. I will be back next week. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.